0: We as a congregation are continuing our journey through Second Corinthians, and we see in this letter a theme of strength through weakness. What we wanna do today is look at how that theme, strength through weakness, impacts something like church discipline. That's a wonderful, fun topic. That's awesome. We love when that comes up in the word and we get to talk about it. So the question is, when somebody is in unrepentant sin, or when somebody tries to do harm to the church, how does strength through weakness impact that? Uh, How does it impact discipline? What does it look like with forgiveness or bitterness? And where does strength through weakness come into that? Now, I want to approach this in such a way that completely shows Pastor Jared that I can alliterate too. It's just not that hard, right? So here we go. We're going to be talking about ripples, restoration, not revenge, reconciliation requires repentance, back off, reject the rebellious reptile, I'm on fire, and remember, okay? So that's what we're going to be getting after, and all of that, listen, I got a thesaurus too, brother, all right? So... uh, all right. All of that flows from our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I squeezed it all on one screen so I can leave it up there and you can see it. Let's look at it together. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might, excuse me, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, the first R I told you is ripples. Let me tell you how we get there. First of all, we're not exactly sure of the details of this situation. However, Second Corinthians, our letter, will mention a painful visit and a painful letter, both of which took place in between the writing of First Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Scholars suspect that it was all related to this situation. Now, if you heard me just then, you're like, hey, there's another letter from Paul. Why isn't that in the Bible?" Understand, Paul probably wrote lots of things that weren't in the Bible. Paul probably wrote a grocery list, not the inspired word of God, right? Like that's not, otherwise it would say like after after synagogue, pick up bread and milk. And that'd be in your Bible and you'd feel like you have to go pick up bread and milk today and that's it's the holy thing to do. No, okay, that's not scripture. So Paul wrote lots of things, not in the Bible. So what's going on here is that most suspect that this guy was the ringleader of the opposition against the Apostle Paul to doubt his apostleship, to doubt his authority, to drive a wedge between Paul and the church that he planted, okay? So it's not just that the guy had an opinion. It's that he was being contentious, spreading dissension. He was actually hurting the church. Now, initially it seems like the church sided with this guy. But eventually the church, the congregation repented and then they confronted him and evidently disciplined him in some way. Now, side note, of course, the guy is anonymous. He is not named. Know this, there are other places in the scripture where some dude is messing with the church and Paul gives the guy's name. He'll throw the guy's name down, right? Right? So it seems like this guy, though, he repented and he is likely a Christian. He will be in heaven with us someday, which will be kind of interesting because he'll get to walk around. You know that guy in 2 Corinthians? Yeah, that was me. That was me. Uh, and, and, which means the dude has a cameo in the Bible, but it's really not flattering, right? Like it's not a good thing. And that's because the guy was not confronting the Apostle Paul for some immorality in Paul's life or some bad leadership decision. This was a uh, "who is my favorite Christian celebrity" kind of thing, and it ain't you, Paul. You know, and, and then and so there's a power struggle, and it's immature, it's rebellious. There's dissension. Now this is a big problem. Let me help you catch the scope of the problem. Paul was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. Paul has delegated authority that came from our Lord. Paul is the one who planted the Corinthian church. So he's like their spiritual dad. And this guy's trying to drive a wedge there. Paul laid as the foundation to the Corinthian church, the gospel that he received from Jesus and Paul is currently, at this point, being used by God to write a big chunk of the New Testament. So you see the breadth of the problem. That's why verse five starts out, it says like, this guy is not just causing pain to the apostle Paul, but to the whole church. This hurts the whole, this is why Paul is willing to jump in the octagon with that guy. It's not to defend himself, but to defend the gospel and to defend the church. And that's a worthy endeavor. Now, what can we learn? Well, our sins have a ripple effect. Have you ever taken like a big old rock? Maybe there's like a calm lake and you throw it in there. And it disturbs not just the water where it lands, but what happens? Ripples out, right? There's ripple effects from that impact. And our sins are like that. Our sins have ripple effects. So if I yell at my wife in front of my kids, okay, I need to clean it up with God, absolutely. But I also need to clean it up with my wife, right? Don't miss the ripples. I also need to clean it up with my kids because my sin hurt them too. Right? Or if you, if you gossip, when you gossip, you hurt at least two people. The person you gossip about and the person to whom you gossip got to clean up both of those ripples. Or God forbid, what if I have an affair? Can you just imagine the ripples from that one? It'll hurt my wife, my kids, my extended family. It'll hurt the other woman if she's married, her husband. If she has kids, her kids, her extended family. And because of the nature of my position, it would hurt the church and it would hurt the testimony of Christ. There's so many ripples to this. Now, granted, there's grace and forgiveness. That's the gospel. But, but we should clean it up to the extent we broke it. We got, we got to clean up all those ripples from our sin. So there's ripples. Paul's saying there's ripples to this guy's sin. Now, the next R, if you remember, is actually a double header. Restoration, not revenge. That's the goal. Restoration, not revenge. And this is a long one. We'll camp here for quite a bit. Now, Paul and the church appropriately confronted this guy. And at first, he was not repentant. So they had to move towards Discipline, or the word used here is punishment. And I want to talk about punishment for just a bit. So There's some principles here. When we do punishment, it has to sting, but it should not crush. So there's two possible errors with punishment. The first error is to not discipline when discipline is due. But then the second error, which is also an error, is to discipline too harshly. So think of parenting. Your kid screws up and deserves some discipline. And so you say, You're bad, eat some ice cream. That's not punishment. There's no sting to that. You go, okay, fine, fine. Two second time out. Stop it. If there's no sting, then it's not punishment. Okay, yes, but remember also the goal is restoration, not revenge. When you move into revenge, retaliation, then it's really not about the restoration of the offender and helping that person grow. Now it's really about you venting your anger. And that's not what it's supposed to be about. Paul says he's concerned that they not overwhelm this guy by excessive sorrow, which means Paul is totally okay that it stings. There should be some sorrow but not excessive sorrow. When it's excessive, then it's not about restoration. It's about my revenge. I'm venting my anger. It's meant to crush the guy. And that's not the goal. That's not the goal at all. Now, these are principles you can, of course, apply with your kids. You can apply them at work. If you have to discipline an employee, the goal is restoration, not revenge. Of course, we can apply those with church discipline, which is the context here. The goal is restoration, not revenge. It's, it's a tool to teach, to elicit growth. And so one time when Caleb needed spanked, and I know that surprises you guys, that Caleb needed spanked, right? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> one time uh, we decided to use it as a tool in the moment to teach him something. And so I said, Caleb, you absolutely did it and you deserve a spanking and I'm going to take your spanking for you. Because I wanted him to learn the gospel. He's guilty. He deserves, I'm going to take his punishment. He's going to go free. That's the gospel. And so we're using it as a tool to teach. And I'll tell you what, Caleb cried at that spanking more than any other in his life. And Shannon leaned into that spanking more than I'd ever seen her. (laughs) That is not how she ever spanked the boy. Like she found strength. I didn't know the woman had. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Anyway, listen, uh, when you discipline, it's not about revenge, it's about restoration. It's a tool for teaching. Now in Corinth, of course, it's not a spanking, it's church discipline, likely excommunication for some season. That's probably what is going on there. And, And the goal in that is the protection of the church, And the protection of the testimony of Christ, but also the goal is the growth of the one being disciplined. So again, we have to avoid two errors. Error one is to not discipline at all when disciplines do, but error two is to discipline too harshly. Let me take a pause there and, and address something because church discipline is kind of awkward to talk about in the age of church hurt. Now, the only reason I use air quotes there is not because it's not real. It's a very real thing. And it certainly happens. But because it's a term that gets used a lot these days. And so in the era of church hurt, it's really fun to talk about church discipline. Uh, But listen, we need to be discerning. And here's why. Do you know who claims church hurt? The first group of people is those who have been hurt by churches. Because again, it is a very real thing. I myself have experienced, I've received hurt from a church. I know it personally. I know it's real. So the first group of people are those who rightly claim church hurt. The second group of people who claim church hurt are unrepentant sinners who are being rightly disciplined by their church. Both groups use the term church hurt, okay? So church hurt is real, yes, but you know what else is real? unrepentance in the heart of man, human rebellion, like that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. That is very real too. So when church discipline happens, it is so rare that the disciplined individual goes, yeah, that's totally fair. They did the right thing. You get that that doesn't happen, right? Instead, what they usually do is mount a counterattack, playing the victim and blaming the church instead of repenting and taking responsibility for their own sin, if that's the case in that instance. Okay, so by illustration, uh, let's say you have an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, something like that, who has a phone, and the kid's really screwed up, needs discipline, and you decide to take the phone away. What does the kid say? I hate you. You're the worst parent in the world. This is child abuse. I'm calling the cops. Really? It's not child abuse. Okay, but time out. We also know there is legit child abuse. It's a very real, very serious, very horrible thing. Okay? Both are true. So it requires maturity. I'm saying it requires discernment. And when it's in a church discipline scenario, you can't just... Take the word of one individual who might be doing gossip and dissension. We just have to be more discerning than that, okay? Well, that's fun to talk about today, so we'll move on. Now, uh, one of the things I love in this passage is we really get to see the heart of the Apostle Paul. In verses 6 and 7, those are the ones that say this. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Brief side note on the word majority there, because it could throw you off. The Greek word there means much many great. It is often used to refer to the whole of something. So don't get in your mind some like bare 51% majority that they just sneaked in. No, at this point, the church seems like it is united, not divided over this. Okay. What that means is Paul won. Paul won the battle for the church. Paul won the battle for the gospel. Totally cool. But Paul isn't done. He wants to win that guy. He cares about him. He's got compassion for him. He wants his heart. And so the cool part about this is, listen, this guy, remember his error was most likely that he was attacking the apostle Paul. And yet Paul doesn't want to gloat. He wants him. Why? Paul follows Jesus. Remember Jesus? Love your enemies, Jesus. Don't return evil for evil. Jesus, forgive as you've been forgiven. Paul follows Jesus. So Paul's not gloating. He's not strutting around. He's loving. He's concerned. He's compassionate. He wants a redemption story. That's what Paul wants. So what he says is comfort him. Reaffirm your love for him. During the rare and unfortunate occasions when our church has been forced into the position that we have to do church discipline. When we do that, we try to, we reaffirm our love. We're begging them. We love you. We want the best for you. We've got vision for your future. We want you to repent. I mean, we're, we're not looking to smack them down. We're looking to call them up that they might experience restoration. And sometimes repentance isn't there. And so when that's true, we have to remove the person from membership. But we always leave the door open for restoration. If you want to repent, here's the next step. We're hoping, we're pulling for you. And we always make very, very, very clear, you are welcome in worship. Because that person's just like all the rest of you, including me, just another broken person. That's the only people that sit in this room. So they're still welcome in worship. Now, the only exception becomes with one of the three Ds. We have three Ds. If there is distraction from the person, if there is damage being done, or if there is danger to other people, then the person gets trespassed from the property. I I think that's only happened once. Um, Otherwise, we are very clear, you are welcome here. Because the goal is restoration, not revenge. And because that's the goal, restoration, not revenge, then what Paul does next is he shifts and he starts to talk a lot about forgiveness. I don't know if you caught what he said. He said, if you, the church, if you forgive them, I forgive them too. Now, have you ever had this situation? Let's say somebody hurt somebody really close to you, a good friend, uh, maybe your child, and, and the offended person The hurt person forgives the offender, but you say something like, well, maybe you forgive them, but I don't forgive them. You've all said that at some point, or you've heard it said, right? Right? Listen, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to get on the forgiveness train, all aboard We are children of forgiveness. We belong to the kingdom of forgiveness. We ought to have a proclivity toward forgiveness. And Paul realizes that in the church in Corinth, the the sin had already been dealt with. In fact, the sin had been dealt with long before that on a hill outside Jerusalem when Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid for all my sin. Jesus paid for all your sin too. And that's why we love forgiveness. Forgiveness ought to be the air that the church breathes. We love to breathe it in, we love to breathe it out. We are fans of forgiveness. That's our stuff. And so get rid of your bitterness and set them free from their shame. We love forgiveness. Now, what's interesting is Paul forgives, he says, for the sake of the Corinthian congregation. And so Paul knows that if he doesn't forgive, that will hurt a lot of people. We've talked before about how when you don't forgive and you embrace bitterness, that's like drinking poison, you only hurt yourself. We've said that before, and that's true. But he's saying something different. He's saying if he doesn't forgive, that's going to hurt the Corinthian congregation. Do you realize that poison of bitterness that you swallow tends to spill over out of your life and poison the people around you? Have you ever considered the bitterness that you're holding on to, how that's hurting your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Like maybe, maybe we need to repent too and ask forgiveness that bitterness not only chews us up, it hurts those around us. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul forgives the guy for their sake. And and then he adds this. In the presence of Christ. So when there is sin and when there is relational harm and whether or not there's repentance and, and there's questions on the table of confrontation and how do we... You understand... All of this takes place in the presence of Jesus. He's right there. Confrontation or not, whether you have the right tone or not, whether there's discipline or not, repentance or not, bitterness or not, forgiveness or not, all of it takes place with Jesus right there. And would we be helped? By remembering that in the moment. That while I'm feeling some pain, some sting, I'm not going to respond to the pain. I'm going to respond to Jesus. In fact, I'll rephrase that. Respond to the Redeemer. That's not even on the list. I should have put that on the list. Respond to the Redeemer. Dang, I missed that one. All right, here's the list. What you can see is the next one is actually reconciliation requires... Repentance. Now, there is one sided forgiveness. That is where I decide to have a forgiving disposition, even if the person doesn't repent, because I'm going to free myself from bitterness. Yes. But reconciliation of the relationship, that requires repentance. And that is just an echo of the gospel. Think of the gospel God's not bitter. God's not bunged up. God, by his nature, has a proclivity towards forgiveness. But to be reconciled in relationship with God requires repentance. That has to be there. God does not comfort people in their rebellion. He comforts them in their repentance. So let us keep in mind, the only reason Why church discipline gets negative and stays negative is because of the absence of repentance. Hear this clearly. It's not the presence of sin. It's the absence of repentance that becomes the problem. Now, I assume this guy in Corinth was repentant. The way I get there is um, Paul says to comfort him. Now, usually what Paul would do is say, hey, if he's not repentant, don't." Come, Paul wants him to feel the sting, the sting that pushes him towards repentance. Once re- repentance comes in, then he says, all right, now let's restore, let's comfort the individual. But repentance, what it does then in that case, when it goes well, is it turns discipline and confrontation, it turns that into a redemption story. And when there's a redemption story, we rejoice. See, redemption results in rejoicing. That was good. That was good. That one's not even on the list either. That's pretty good. Redemption results in rejoicing, all right? All right, now, the next one on the list, reject the rebellious reptile. What the? All right, It comes from the very end there. In verse 11, what Paul says is this. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Listen, when all this stuff, when when the stuff's hitting the fan like this, I want you to know you are supposed to reject somebody. You're supposed to reject Satan, not the sinner. All right? And so now we get to do a little bit of demonology, make sure we're all on the same page. There is a class of created beings made by God himself called angels. Some of them fell. We call them demons. Satan, or originally Lucifer, is the leader of that pack. He is the enemy of God, but as a created being, he is limited. There are things he can do and things he can't do. He's not like, a match for God by any stretch of the imagination. One of the things he can't do is he can't create. That's what God does. And since he can't create anything, what he seeks to do is to destroy what God has created. And so his main weapon is to destroy and deceive and distort. That's what he goes after. Now, though he is limited, make no mistake, he's no plaything. He's ancient. He's crafty. He's been around a long time. He's good at his game. We should not trifle with him in any way. And what he loves to do, he loves to destroy churches. Just loves it. But you hear me really clearly on this. If you are spreading dissension in any church, you are doing the work of Satan. You're playing according to his designs. You might be ignorant of it but you're doing the work of Satan. And you ought to repent of that and clean up the ripples from your sin. As well, when something goes wrong and and there is the need for discipline, if a church fails to address an unrepentant member, they're doing the work of Satan. And at the same time, If we address sin, but we do it mean, we're doing the work of Satan. And we ought to clean that up. Satan absolutely loves our bitterness. See, forgiveness and grace are echoes of the gospel. Satan hates the gospel. And so when forgiveness and grace are excluded from the church, he loves it. That's his plan. And so we got to remember our bitterness. Listen, your bitterness hurts you. It hurts the people around you. It fails to bring glory to God. But it also puts a smile ear to ear on the snake. He loves it. And in that moment, he's like, sweet. Got him. Got him. Can we just agree to reject him together? Can we reject him? We don't want to give him pleasure. All right, one more R, and that is that we remember. Here's what I want you to remember. Strength through weakness. See, when this stuff's going down at Corinth, if Paul had gone for strength through strength, so Paul won, crush the dude. Hate him. Kick him out of the church. Run him out of the city. Get him. Strength through strength. Paul doesn't go that route. He went weak. He went meek. Forgive him. Forgive him. See, retribution and revenge, that's worldly strength, but unholy weakness. Forgiveness and grace, that's worldly weakness. World doesn't respect it, that's weakness, but it's holy strength. And and you'll see that in a passage like Proverbs 16.32, where it says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's strength through weakness. And no matter what the world says to you, the angry, bitter person is weak. is really weak. And God calls us to better than that. Strength through weakness. Let me ask you this. Who was the strongest person to ever walk the planet? Now, if you said Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm gonna punch you in the face, right? No, I won't. That's strength through strength. I repent for that. Okay, like, maybe you said Samson. At least you got a biblical answer in there. Good for you. The correct answer is Jesus, right? Listen, when you have the fullness of God in bodily form walking around on the planet, that's the strongest person ever to walk on this earth. Next question. Who is the most forgiving person to ever walk the planet? Same answer. See all those? That is strength through weakness. Can we be like our Lord? Let's be like Jesus. All right. Let me end with this. I don't know if you have ever heard or heard of the song Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. If you're my age or older, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that, right? Yeah, world. There it is. But it came out in 1973. It was a worldwide hit, not just in America, but like around the globe. Like everybody loved this, and it launched movements and all It was crazy cool. The song is about a convict. He's been in jail three years. He's getting out of prison, and, and he's... Hoping to go home, but what he doesn't know, he doesn't know, and we don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, but uh, he doesn't know if he's welcome back because he's been gone for three years. So how's he gonna find out? And so he comes up with this signal and he writes and he says, listen, if I'm welcome back, you tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, likely out front of the house. And then I'll know because he's riding on this bus and I'll get off the bus because I'll know. uh, But if it's not there, then I'll, I'll, well, here's how the song begins. Here's the lyrics. He says, I'm coming home, I've done my time. Now I've got to know what is and isn't mine. If you receive my letter telling you I'd soon be free, then you will know just what to do if you still want me, if you still want me. Whoa, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's been three long years. Do you still want me? If I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, I'll stay on a bus, forget about us, put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Put the blame on me. The guy's repentant, but he doesn't know if he's welcome anymore. And I, it's just so cool how the song ends. It says, now the whole dang bus... Cheer. Well, okay, that's not really the words that were used in the song. I had to change one in the middle there. Okay, but you get the idea. The whole dang bus is cheering. Everybody goes nuts. Why? And I can't believe I see a hundred yellow ribbons round the old oak tree. Now, here's what I think is going on in Corinth with this one guy. I think he's wondering, like he's like, I dissed the Apostle Paul Like I almost destroyed a church and now I've learned, I've repented. but, But what I don't know is this. Will they welcome me back in their church? Will Paul still accept me? And so Paul is basically saying, hey church, let's go tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. In fact, you know what? I would love it if Redemption Chapel was just covered with yellow ribbons, 1,500 of them. Because listen, we ought to be that kind of people individually and as a collective church because that's like Jesus. Would you be willing to do that with me? I hope so. Let Let me pray for that. Father in heaven, We come to you as people who (laughs) we have sinned a lot. We've probably hurt our own church at times. We've hurt each other, hurt others. And Father, I pray that you would lead us to be people of bold repentance, that we would clean up the ripples that we have caused, absolutely. And then we're also people that have been hurt. Could we breathe the air of forgiveness, breathe it in, breathe it out, that we would love the sweet taste of forgiveness. It would be like honey on our lips, so sweet, and we would just love, just love to give it away to others. Make us that kind of people, please. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.